Earlier this year, on February 9th, marked one of the last chapters in Matt McCall's fifth and final season as the head coach of the men's basketball team at the University of Massachusetts. McCall knew a home game against George Washington University, one of the worst teams in the Atlantic 10, was a good opportunity for his team to win back-to-back games for the first time all year in conference play. But that never happened. The Minutemen lost that game 77-68, and in his press conference after the game, McCall knew there was a problem with the way things were going. I mean, I, I guess I got to do a better job <laughs> preaching it. Uh, I mean, I, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I'm the leader, and I've got to do a better job, you know, because uh, clearly in games like tonight, they're not, the message is not registering, so I got to do a better job. Matt McCall's time as head coach of the UMass men's basketball team ended shortly after that game, March 1st to be exact. That game was the beginning of the end, and when athletic director Ryan Bamford knew, a change had to be made. I'm Joey Alberti, and this is It Happened in Amherst. I'll lead you through the miscues throughout McCall's five years at UMass that contributed to what many saw as his inevitable firing, and eventually to the hiring of his successor. But to do that, we first need to rewind back to March of 2017. At that time, Bamford knew who his next men's basketball coach would be. Derek Kellogg just finished nine years with the Minutemen and coached them to the NCAA tournament in 2015. But consecutive underperforming seasons motivated Bamford to replace Kellogg with a young coach who could give this team a fresh look and a new perspective. That coach was Pat Kelsey. The 41-year-old Kelsey had just returned from his own tournament appearance with Winthrop University, a South Carolina basketball team he brought to the top of the Big South Conference in four years. Bamford loved what Kelsey offered, a younger coach that turned around a basketball program that was at the bottom of its conference. In March of 2017, Bamford hired Kelsey as the next UMass men's basketball head coach. On March 23rd, Kelsey was scheduled to talk publicly at a 4 p.m. press conference for the first time since being hired. Bamford met with Kelsey to discuss the press conference and then gave him a couple hours to prepare his public statement. But at 3.25 p.m., Bamford received a call he never expected. Kelsey called to tell him he no longer wanted the job. Instead of introducing Kelsey, Bamford instead had to address the press at 4 p.m. about why Kelsey had left him at the altar. Let's take a listen to a recording of the press conference found on YouTube. At 3.30 this afternoon, Pat Kelsey asked to be released from his employment agreement at UMass, which was executed on Tuesday. After speaking with Pat about his decision, I honored his request, and we are now working through how this impacts our executed memorandum of understanding. In my conversation with Pat, he made it clear that the reasons were very personal, and upon his request, I will honor our confidential conversation. To clarify on one of the things Bamford mentioned, a memorandum of understanding is when two parties, so in this case, Pat Kelsey and the University of Massachusetts, agree in principle to sign a contract that will be signed soon, but have not agreed to a deal by law. So that's what he meant by that. But anyways, one of UMass men's basketball's beat writers at the time was the Daily Hampshire Gazette's Matt Votor. He covered the team until 2018, but now covers the Boston Bruins and occasionally still some UMass sports with Mass Live. Votor remembers that day's unusual turn of events quite well. UMass is the center of the college basketball universe because 
something crazy was going on. And, and I've, you know, I've covered UMass a long time. I've done a bunch of press conferences and most of these things are pretty canned. And this was as absolutely as different as anything. So I'm about halfway back to the Gazette office in Northampton where I'm, I'm going to write and I'm, and I get a, I get a, a text message, Ryan Bamford press conference at the Mullen center in, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour. So I get in the car, just turn around and, and go back. As you previously heard, in the clip of Bamford talking at the press conference following Kelsey's sudden exit, the feeling in the room could be described as awkward, but Bamford could not afford to panic. We're going to go find somebody who wants to come here and, and return us to national prominence. There's no doubt in my mind. But it was going to be difficult to find a coach who wants to bring UMass to national prominence now for a couple reasons. After Kelsey's sudden announcement, other head coaching candidates wondered why he'd left. Kelsey attributed his change of mind to personal reasons he said had nothing to do with the university, but some people weren't buying that reason, and one of those people was Votor. No, something spooked him. Something, something, something spooked him from here. I don't think it was just I had a change. Of, I don't think it was just change of heart. I, th- I think, I think something about the scenario when he got there. Um, his his family wasn't with him for whatever whatever that was worth. There's a couple of interesting things too. He never specifically resigned from Winthrop. He never like put in the the you know, sent a thing resigning. There's some, there's definitely something a little that was a little strange about about all of that. Also, after Kelsey's sudden departure, some of the team's other candidates for head coach had already accepted positions at other schools, while others simply didn't want to be UMass's backup plan. However, one person who didn't worry about that was Matt McCall. So with that, uh, it is my pleasure to welcome and introduce to you the 22nd basketball coach for the University of Massachusetts, Matt McCall. McCall was a young, passionate, and energetic hire with a great offensive mind, similar to what Bamford saw in Kelsey. He had a successful two-year stint at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga with an NCAA tournament appearance of his own. But it was no secret McCall was the team's second choice. Now the Minutemen had to try to get themselves out from the basement of the Atlantic 10 Conference with a coach who had been their backup plan. But Matt McCall obviously did not want to look at it like that. Who would? Well, I think, you know, Ryan, one thing in this business, um, this business is all about timing. And it was the right time for me to be the head coach of this university. And I don't look at it that way at all. I look at it as an opportunity, and I'm really, really excited for this opportunity. I can promise you that. McCall didn't have a lot to work with in his first year. He had fewer than 10 players on scholarship, leaving after Derek Kellogg was fired and not wanting to stick around with McCall. Some games, there were only four active scholarship players because of injuries and suspensions. UMass still overachieved that season, beating higher caliber teams like Providence and Georgia. And this gave fans hope. The team also finished with a 5-13 and conference record, one win better than the previous season when they went 4-14, and despite working with less talent. Even for a team again that finished at the bottom of the Atlantic 10, people were eager to see what McCall finally could do with a full roster of scholarship players. His coaching stock was high, but it quickly plummeted in his second season. On top of retaining all the players from his first year, McCall also brought in multiple transfers in an effort to give his team real depth in year two. But that additional depth didn't really matter much. The team managed to finish with a 4-14 record in the 2018-2019 season, taking a step backwards instead of forwards. 
Amin Tori covered the men's basketball team and McCall for three years in his time at the Daily Collegian. Tori now works at the Boston Globe as a multi-platform editor and remembers dark moments from McCall's second season. Ugly losses, such as a near 20-point loss to Fordham, who held the worst record in the A-10, were low points for McCall and his players. And they had some really bad losses that year. Like I remember the, the famous one is when they lost to Fordham by like, and they were down by like 30 at home when Fordham was like the worst team in the league. Um, and they were, and there were losses like that where McCall literally locked them out of the champion center because they were playing so poorly and made them practice at 6 a.m. at the Curry Hicks cage. Um, that, that's how bad it was. I, I walked into that media availability the day after the Fordham game and it was like, it was like a funeral home. Like all the lights were off. McCall was talking in this very hushed tone and talking about how we need to find ourselves and we need to do some soul searching. And I was like, okay, this season is falling off a cliff and it, it never really recovered. There were chemistry issues on and off the court, um, all kinds of issues in the locker room. That year was an absolute mess. And there is good reason why when you look at the roster from year two to year three, there was like two guys that stuck around. As Tori mentioned, a lot of turnover happened from year two to year three. McCall fired all his assistants and 10 of 16 players either graduated or transferred to other schools. McCall sensed he was on the ropes and needed to bring someone in to help him recruit better to alleviate the damage. Tony Bergeron happened to be that guy. He had experience at various prep schools in New England, most recently with Woodstock Academy, which was one of the top prep schools in the entire nation. McCall hadn't recruited many players up to that point and hired Bergeron because of that specific reason, which Tory knew was not going to be a recipe that would be successful. I do not want to necessarily frame it as making a deal with the devil because I don't want to suggest that Tony Bergeron is the devil. But what I mean by that is they went down a road they hadn't been down, which was making assistant coach hirings for the sake of bringing in recruits. Whatever you'd like to call it, the plan worked out well in year one. For example, four-star, top 100 player in the nation, Trey Mitchell, would not have joined UMass without Bergeron's recruitment. Bergeron also recruited TJ Weeks and Preston Santos. All three players came from Woodstock Academy and helped Bergeron launch a Woodstock pipeline that shaped UMass men's basketball for the next two years. The Minutemen were awfully young, but Mitchell showed promise by winning Atlantic 10 Rookie of the Year, averaging almost 18 points a game. He established himself as a star in the conference quickly. But the pandemic hindered that next season. This was also the first season I started covering the team. Two three-week pauses during the season, plus an injury to Mitchell, made it really difficult for McCall to form any sort of team rhythm. And after the team lost in the second round of the A-10 conference tournament, Mitchell was gone, he transferred to Texas, while freshman Ronnie DeGray headed to Missouri. Also, Captain Carl Pierre transferred to Rice University for his graduate year. Not to mention, UMass bought out the remainder of Bergeron's contract. Tension pervaded that locker room during McCall's fourth season. I think we all saw, no, I don't think anybody ever thought that the end of the Tony Bergeron experiment was going to be a particularly happy ending. You know what I mean? Like, even if it worked out and they won some things, like you kind of knew that that was going to be a bit of a, a bit of a messy breakup one way or the other, um, just because of the nature of, of getting involved with, with a guy like Tony Bergeron. UMass lost its best players and left McCall to scramble yet again, heading into his fifth year. McCall brought in four transfers, all of whom were either seniors or grad students to try to relieve the lost talent. 
but he didn't recruit a single player from high school. A small sign of desperation that suggested a short-term focus on players who could contribute and help win immediately. McCall's fifth season was up and down, to say the least. The team won more than one game in a row, only twice throughout the entire season. And unironically enough, one of those stretches came directly after McCall was fired. In March of this year, the team won three straight games and almost upset a very good University of Dayton team in the conference tournament. Trent Buttrick, one of the team's grad transfers, says McCall's departure made a big difference in how the team played at the end of the season. Um, I think it's just everyone's a lot more, or just, you know, a lot, a lot more free. There's no, no real pressure anymore, you know, for, for us as a team. So we're just, everyone's playing loose um, together and having fun. So I think it makes us a better team when everyone plays that way. Poor defense, along with inconsistency that season, eventually led to McCall's firing. After five years, Matt McCall hadn't moved UMass up to a stronger standing in the A-10 conference. Although he didn't have a complete control over the few rough years, it's the coach's responsibility to work through issues and find success. Ultimately, McCall admitted he couldn't do that in his first press conference after being fired. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, when you look at my tenure here, I, th I think we, you know, we really just lack some consistency. You know, um, consistency with rosters, consistency with staff, um, and, it, and it's hard to, to have sustained sustain success um, with that. Great. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. After McCall's departure, the team's attention switched to finding the next UMass men's basketball coach, and every week, new names of potential candidates appeared, with options including UConn assistant Kamani Young, St. Bonaventure coach Mark Schmidt, and South Carolina's recently fired coach, Frank Martin. While UConn is always a good college basketball team, UMass never hired someone with experience coaching in the Southeastern Conference or the SEC, like Martin has. The SEC is one of the biggest conferences in college sports, and Martin isn't a young up-and-coming coach like McCall was and like Kelsey would have been, but he has 15 years of coaching experience between South Carolina and Kansas State. He brought Kansas State to the Elite Eight of the NCAA Tournament in 2010 and guided South Carolina to the Final Four in 2017. Martin lost his job when UMass desperately needed a coach of his caliber to take over the program. Martin met with Bamford on Tuesday and Thursday in the third week of March 2022, eventually agreeing to a five-year contract that'll pay him $1.65 million annually. And Bamford has now done what he couldn't five years before with Kelsey. He's hired his first choice candidate. Um, I have to tell you that uh, today, uh, Coach Frank Martin earned his first bonus because he showed up for the press conference. And Frank, let me tell you, that doesn't always happen. And so, um, congratulations. Almost five years exactly after Kelsey skipped his own press conference, Martin became the most high-profile hire in this basketball program's history. And then we're going to go on the court, and we're going to play harder, than any team that ever plays against us. We're gonna be more disciplined than any team that ever plays against us. I can't guarantee you that the ball's gonna go in the net, but I can guarantee you our guys are not gonna get out of the way defensively. 
we're going to be the hardest game everyone has on their schedule because of our disposition, our discipline, and our unity every time we take the court. I control that. I don't control the ball going in that net. I control all those other things. I want to end on a note about McCall. Just because he didn't have success here does not mean he is unable to have success anywhere as a head basketball coach. He is 40 years old with a ton of experiences ahead of him, and he was just simply not the right fit for this program at the current time. Now, Martin and his staff begin their rebuild of this program, and anyone who has followed this program closely for over half a decade knows beginning a rebuild is not new territory for UMass. What is new territory? Having a coach who has broken school records at high-profile basketball programs who will likely help rebuild an Atlantic 10 team that lacks real prominence and has since the late 1990s. Starting in 2012, Frank Martin needed three years to get one of the worst SEC teams in South Carolina to a winning record and five years to make it to the Final Four. He'll get at least five years to show what he can do in Amherst. That was a five-year history of the UMass men's basketball program. For It Happened in Amherst, I'm Joey Alberti. Thanks for listening.